All right, good morning. So good to see the church with more and more life every week, huh? More, more folks, more life. Uh, it's a great thing. Uh, welcome this morning. If you're new here this morning, we want to just say welcome, welcome. We're, we're, we're so thankful that you're here this morning. Uh, it's been an interesting season, uh, obviously a, a different season and a, and a different time, but we're so thankful that you uh, came to check us out this morning. If you're checking us out online for the first time this morning, we want to say welcome. Maybe you've been two or three times. We're so grateful that you've chose to come and to worship with us. Uh, we are indebted to that, and we hope that you are blessed. My name is Tri. I'm one of the pastors here. And so uh, we have been going through the Songs of Ascent. Psalms 120 through 134. Today we are on Psalm 123. And the, 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 the pre premise of this is, what's your source? What, what, what are we trusting in? What are we believing in? What, what have we set our sights towards, believing that it will be an answer for us, that it will provide for us the very things that we need, that, uh, that we can trust in it? The big question is, is, is what, of our, what is our source? And so today we're, in this day and time, we're, we're presented with, with numerous challenges today, challenges with what it is that we're believing in, what it is that we can trust, and what we can uh, settle into and know to see and to believe as truth. What kinds of things are we going to set the course of our lives on and believe that it's going to be something that is uh, able to sustain us. Psalm 123 begins this way. To you, I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Remember, if you remember back, Psalm 121 started out this way. It says, I will lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? Right? And so we have to remember that, that these were songs. These were songs on a journey. These were songs that pilgrims were singing as they were making their way up to Jerusalem to come and, and to meet together and to draw near to God for these major festivals. As they were on their way up, as they would have looked and they would have seen the hills and stuff, they would have seen just the monuments and the, uh, the temples on the high places that were set up for the different pagan gods and goddesses. And, and the question in their mind as they made their way up to Jerusalem is, is, is where is my help going to come from? Right? Whereas I'm seeing these different things. I'm seeing these, these idols. I'm seeing these things that, that people are putting their hope in. But where is my hope set? And where am I, is my help going to come from? And of course, their answer was our, our help comes from God, right? Who's the maker of heaven and earth. And here it says that we are going to lift up our eyes to you, God, the one who is enthroned in the heavens, not in heaven, but in the heavens. We have to remember that this God that we're talking about is a God who fills all of time and space simultaneously. This is a God who has unlimited resources. This is a God who has unlimited power. This is a God who has said that he will meet us in our darkest times, in our deepest struggles. This is a God who is faithful, and he is the God who is enthroned in all of the heavens. The, the amazing thing, too, that we know as New Testament believers is he isn't just enthroned in the heavens, he is enthroned in the hearts of his people, right? And so we become this place where he is enthroned. Is that my water? <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Thanks. Um, and so 
as we move on, uh, Psalm, Psalm uh, 1039 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. We have to remember that we're talking about a God who is sovereign. And that means that anything that happens in this world or in the lives of a believer first comes through his lens. There's nothing that comes to us that surprises him. There's nothing that comes to us that he doesn't already know and understand and have a plan in the middle of it. The question becomes is, is will we be willing to find his plan in the midst of our struggle? Are we actually looking to him or are we trusting in these other things? Are we looking to the high places that the world has set up or are we understanding and knowing that some of those high places happen only through his sovereignty, through his way? And if any of those places, science, medicine, some of these different things, if they were to show up and to deliver us from something, we have to first understand that it's come by his hand that he's the source of it, that, that all of our wealth, that, that, our, that our abilities, our talents, everything belongs to him. You see, if we start from that point, we start to understand that life is all gift. It's not just gain. It's not just something there that, that it's meant to be just used and consumed for our end, that it's just gain for us, but it's gift. And because it's gift, there's a need and a responsibility to make sure that we um, are passing those gifts on. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hands of her mistress. Interesting words and thoughts here, just that idea that, that as, as a servant or a maidservant, uh, basically kind of a bond slave, looks to the hand of their master. Why? Because it's the only hand that, that is provision for them. It's because of their position. It's because of the place where they sit. They realize that everything that comes to me comes through my master's hand. I, 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 when, I, when I looked at that, I, I, I put the, the dog image up there because, because I always think about like a border collie or a, or a lab or something. And, and if you have a ball, right, or whatever, and how attentive they are to the master's hand, right? Whoever, you got the ball, you got the ball. Okay, I want the ball. The ball is where we're going, and, and, and they never take their eye off of the hand of the master, right? This is the picture. This is, this is who we should be as God's church, that we understand and that we recognize that the really the only source of our provision comes from him. It comes from his goodness, that he's the father of lights, that in him there is no variation or shifting shadow, that every good and perfect gift comes to us through him and through his hand. Therefore, why is it that we get distracted? Why do we look to these, all of these other things, believing somehow that if we invest in the other economies of this world, that we'll somehow reap out of the economy of God? You see, it doesn't work that way. God's economy is higher than the economy of this world. And if we subject ourselves only to the economy of this world, then that is the economy in which our windfall, that's a, it's the economy we'll reap out of. But if we'll believe, if we'll trust, if we'll go up higher into the economy that God has, this is the place where his blessing flows. This is the place where, where goodness is. This is the place where we have faith over fear. This is the place where we receive all of the good things that God has for us. So our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. How long? Until. How long is until? It's until. Right? I don't know how long until is. Nobody does, but God does. 
But you know what? The picture here is that we're going to continue to look to God. We're going to continue to believe on him. And whether we see it, whether we feel it, whether it's happening around us or not, we are going to continue to press in. We're going to continue to believe that if we persevere, if we are um, patient, if we endure, if we're persistent in asking God that he's going to show up. And I can tell you that the one thing that we need to be thinking about today, I think, in our culture is God have mercy on us. Mercy. We need to cry out to God that he would have mercy on us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. We always like to talk about grace, right? And grace is getting, and we like to get. And grace is getting God's favor where we don't deserve it. But I can tell you today, we need his mercy. And mercy is not getting what we deserve. And, and you know, where we're at today in our nation, it, it didn't start three months ago. It didn't start five months ago. It didn't start six months ago. Things have been at play for a long time. Our culture, our world has begun a long time ago and probably always has to reject God, to reject his, his ways, his principles, his ways of doing things. Even the church, we have allowed the world and its economies to sink into this place. And we've begun to trust and not look to the hand of our master like we're called to on so many levels and so many ways. And, and you see, when we go up against God's law, you can't break it. It's impossible to break God's law. It, it's like thinking you can break the law of gravity. We've tried, but when you try to break the law of gravity, you just push up against gravity and then suffer the consequences for trying to break it. God's laws are the same thing. You, you can't break them. You can push up hard against them and then only suffer the consequences of having pushed up against them. See, God is the one who knows. He's the author of life. He's the one who knows the, how to get us into freedom. He's the one who knows how to give us purpose and meaning and how to live our lives. But right now, we need to be a people who are calling out and saying, God, have mercy on us. Please, God, don't give us what we deserve. Give us grace. Give us your mercy, Lord. Lavish that down on us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. The Jewish people certainly knew what it was and do know what it is to have contempt pointed towards them. And contempt is a, it's an interesting thing. Contempt is, is this thing where there's disdain where there's hatred towards you, not really because of who you've been or what you are, but more for what you stand for or what you represent or what people group maybe you're associated with. Disdain is that thing of just, I have no time for you. I have no room for you. I have no want for you. And I can tell you that we are living in a time and in a place where we are going to see the contempt of the world against the people of faith rise and go up. And it's going up now, and it's going to continue to go up. But I don't want to create a, a culture of fear here. I want us to be excited about it. I want us to understand that we may be living in a time that is more exciting than what has been available to Christians for a long time, at least in America. 
We may have more opportunity here in the future to share the hope as as things begin to kind of crumble down around us. It's an opportunity to say, we know of something that's sure. We, We serve a God who is enthroned in the heavens, not in the temporal things of this world. We have a hope that transcends all of this, a hope that's set in heaven. And we can have that message for the world around. So I want to look through a couple of stories And these are stories in the New Testament of those who truly looked for Jesus' hand, that truly were just toned in and and, and attuned to the hand of the master, who who were persistent, who, who wouldn't basically even take no for an answer, just people who were congratulated on their faith by Jesus. And and the first one is is this interesting story, and it starts out, it says that Jesus went away from there, and he withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. So Jesus is tired. He's, he's been ministering, and, and he's at this spot where he is going to go, and he is going to get away a little bit, and he's going to get some R&R. He's going to recharge his batteries a little bit. But Jesus can't really get away because anywhere he goes, he's known. He, he's, he's made famous. Everything is going on. People, he's the buzz of the world, of this ancient world around him, right? And so in now comes this, this, this lady, and she is, um, in the book of, of uh, Mark, it says that she's a Syrophoenician woman. That, so, so A, she's, she's a woman. B, she's a Gentile. C, she's a foreigner. Three strikes, you're out. She has nothing that would qualify her to come and speak to a rabbi or Jesus, right? But she has an understanding of Jesus. She has, a, she has a thing that maybe a lot of the Jewish people aren't even getting, and that is, this is the source. This is the place where I'm going. Her hand or her, her mind is attentive to who he is, and so she comes and she bows down before him and listen to that. She says, have mercy on me, Lord, right? Son of David. Son of David is a proclamation of I know who you are. You are the Messiah. You're the promised Messiah. And even though I'm A, B, and C, I still get who you are. And then an interesting thing kind of happens here. It says he did not answer her a word and his disciples came and implored him saying, just send her away because she keeps shouting at us. You know, so these guys are ultra spiritual. The disciples, aren't they kind of like us? They're like, oh, send her away. She keeps yelling at us, right? They're the same guys that wanted to burn a town down because they wouldn't let them spend the night, right? I mean, poor Jesus, right? He's got to be like, ah. Anyway, so, so they're just like, just get rid of her. Just send her away. You see how she's so marginalized, but yet she comes to this place that she sees as her hope. And she says, she says, uh, but he answered and he said, I was only sent to the sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus begins by telling her, look, um, there's an order to things. There's a way that this is going to go. There's a mission that I have personally, and my mission is actually to the house of, of Israel. And, and she's like, uh, she bows down and she says, Lord, help me. And, and, and that's, that's just a cry that, that we need to have. And this is one that he responds to, but, but he does it in an interesting way. And he says this, 
It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, right? So now if Jesus posted that on Facebook, trust me, that would get blocked, <laughs> right? That would be blocked. That would be like, this is not in agreement with our community rules and blah, blah, blah. And this would get blocked. Jesus just called her kind of a dog in a way, right? And, and what we have to understand is that Jewish people weren't a canine society. They weren't a people like we are where we love our dogs. They didn't. Dogs were mongrels. They were kind of out there. Maybe at times they had kind of little, but, but, um, but they weren't a dog. They weren't dog lovers. As a matter of fact, the Jews referred to the Gentiles as dogs, and it wasn't a compliment. But Jesus, when he says it, he says this, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little puppies. He, he uses the diminutive uh, term for dogs here, and he just says, it's not good to do that. I, I came and I came, there's a way that I'm coming, there's an order to this thing, and it wouldn't be good for me to just go out of that order and, and start doing something different, totally. And she has an interesting response to that. She said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Think about all the responses she could have, would have had. What would most Americans would have had to that response where Jesus said, look, it's not good for me to take uh, the, 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 the food of the children and, and throw it to you little doggy puppies? have been like standing on our right. Who do you think you are to call me that? Who, who do you think you are to, to, to call me a dog or, or to do? I've been offended now, right? And, and, and so, oh, just away from you and away. But she doesn't do that. She kind of goes, you know what? And she's getting it in a way that probably most of the Jewish people didn't get it in her time. And, and, and he's, she just says, look, you're my source, you, you, I don't, it doesn't matter. You, you know, it, I'm not going to get offended. I'm going to choose to continue in the midst of where I could be offended. I'm going to tell you, if you follow Jesus, there are going to be places and times where Jesus is going to offend you, right? Even in the process of healing you up. To the woman at the well, he said, go get your husband. She's like, oh, dang, I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five. And the guy you're with, he's not your husband. When, when, when we allow Jesus in, there's times where, where he, where he kind of gets to the heart of things and he gets to the heart of who we are and he tests our sense of will you be offended or will you follow? Will you see me as the source or will you go away because I've said something that is, you, you can't take? So she says, look, you're, you're my source. We're basically, you... You're where the crumbs are coming from. And you know what, too? The other thing she sees, she says, she's saying, there's an abundance with you. There, there's more than enough at your table. There's going to be enough that, that, that there's surely going to be some that falls down. And how about that? I'm, I'm a little puppy and I'd sure have those crumbs. And he said, oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. And Jesus responded to that. He responded to that mother's heart that said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what my kid needs. My kid is in need and I'm not stopping. And that persistence that she has and that lack of offense that she has is rewarded in the end. 
Next story we have is, is, a, is an interesting one, and, and it's this guy, uh, Bartimaeus, and he's a blind guy, and he's marginalized because he's blind, and his vocation is begging. And so he sits beside a, a busy street day after day, and he asks people if you'll put a little something in my cup. He's a blind beggar, and he's the son of Timaeus, and he was sitting by the roadside, and he, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. What an interesting picture. I think that Bartimaeus has probably heard for a long time about this ministry that Jesus has. He's blind, so... I bet he listens really well. And conversations, hey, have you heard about this guy, Jesus? Yeah, he's, he's performing, he's doing these miraculous things. He's, he's healing people. He's, he's making the lame to walk. He's, he's making the deaf to hear. He's making the blind to see. Whoa, he's the Messiah. Some say he's the son of David, right? So sometime he's sitting there and he's sitting there in the usual place where he always is. And it's a busy road. It's on the way to Jericho. But something's different. It's a little busier today. And there's a big crowd passing by. And he says, what's going on out there? What's happening? What's, what's going on, guys? And somebody says, it's Jesus. Jesus and his, and his disciples, they're, they're going by. They're headed up to Jerusalem. And he starts to yell out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they're like, shut up. You're bothering Jesus. Don't bother Jesus, right? These are, but he won't quit. He's tenacious. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's saying, I know who you are. You're the son of David. You're the Messiah. You're the spoken one. You're the one who can do what I need. You're the hand that I'm looking to for my provision. And so, cool thing, Jesus is always so cool, isn't he? He just stops. This guy's totally marginalized. Nobody cares about this guy. He's a beggar with a cup on the side of the road. But Jesus does. He stops. And he says, all those people that were telling him, like, hey, shut up, man. You're bothering Jesus. He's like, hey, go get him. <laughs> I love that, too. He's like, go get him. Bring him over here. And then he asks, asks an interesting question for him. What do you want me to do for you? Don't you find that odd? I find that odd. I know what I would have done if I was Jesus. I would have been like, hey, everybody, watch this blind dude. Watch. Bam. Woo. <laughs> yes. Healed him. But Jesus isn't like that. You see, Jesus is a respecter and, and, and wants the participation of our free will. Right? He's, he, he asks that we would engage with him, that we would recognize him for who he is, and that our desire would be really his desire. I'm sure Jesus' desire is to heal him of his blindness, but you know what that guy might have said? And Jesus, would, he, he might have been like, you know what, man, I've got this callus from this cup, man, right here. Sore finger. Will you fix it so I can be back over here and keep doing my thing? What do you want me to do for you? It's a question that Jesus asks us. What, what is our source? What's our source of provision? But this guy says, look, I want you to heal me of my blindness. And Jesus says, all right. And he does. And he recovers his sight. And he says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And he recovered his sight. And he followed him on the way. Another story. 
When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. Now, he's returned from going across the sea for one guy, one crazy guy, one dem demoniac, it says. Just eat up with, with demonic activity. He's running around. He's crazy. Nobody can stop him. He's cutting himself. He's, he's, he's crazed, and he lives in the tombs. And Jesus left all of the crowds that he was ministering to, thousands of people, and he said, hey, get in the boat. We're going over there for one guy because there's one guy over there who needs me, who's, who's eat up, who we're going to go get him. So now he's been gone for a while doing that and he's coming back. And it says, there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. So he's an important guy. He's a big deal, Jairus is. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, and she touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. So here comes the, the, the ruler of the synagogue, and he's like, Jesus, my daughter is dying. She's 12 years old. Okay, let's go. So they go, and they come in, and the crowds all press around them, right? And there's, there's hundreds and thousands of people, potentially, and, and they're all pressed around, and everybody's getting kind of close to Jesus, and this, there's this whole buzz that's going on. And this lady, this tenacious lady who recognizes that Jesus is her source, that he's the one who's able, that he's the one who can change things, that he's the one that she's going to, she comes up in the crowd behind and she touches the hem of his robe, right? See, and I think she came up behind on purpose. And I think that this story is as much about Jairus as it is about her. See, because Jairus has got a 12-year-old daughter at home who's dying, and this lady's been struggling with this for 12 years. Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. Jairus has probably dealt with this woman for the last 12 years of trying to find some remedy, some way of healing, some point where, where she could get better and she wouldn't be unclean anymore. And he's probably a little bit tired of dealing with her because he doesn't really have an answer for her because he's not the source. I think that that's totally actually, and this is just my guess, but I think that's why she snuck up behind, was to avoid Jairus, because I think Jairus probably would have been like, no, 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 we don't have time for you right now. But we're going to my daughter. Because there's hope for my daughter, there's no hope for you anymore. So she gets up there and she touches him and it changes and she knows it. And Jesus says, who touched me? And his disciples are like, look, <laughs> Jesus, there's crap. I mean, there's all kinds of people touching you right now. And Jesus is like, no, somebody touched me. Somebody touched me in a different way. These people are pressing up to me. They're pressing in close. They're rubbing up against me, but they are not touching me. Somebody touched me. Somebody touched me in a different way. Somebody recognized that I was the source, that I was their hope, that I was the place that they were headed to. And she got all the way through that crowd, probably on her hands and knees, and touched the hem of his garment. And he stops. 
He says, somebody touch me. They're like, you're crazy, Jesus. He's like, nope, somebody touch me. Power went out for me. And, and can you imagine the contempt that Jairus had when he saw her? And that now Jesus has stopped. He's on her way to save his only daughter, and now he's stopped. Now, what is going through Jairus's head right now? I bet he's about to flip his biscuit right now. You know what I mean? Because, oh my, I mean, whoa, you, I can't believe you, you stopped this. We're going, uh, no, not now. Don't stop, Jesus. Just keep, let's keep going. She's, she's almost, she's dying. So she comes out and Jesus has this amazing kind of a talk with her, you know? And, and, and um, it goes on. And Jesus is talking to her, and I don't know how long he talks to her, but, but then he says, hey, you're, you're, you know, you're, your faith has made you well. It was, it was me. You, you touched the right guy. You, your faith made you well. You had the right, you were looking the right direction. You had the right tenacity about you. You're healed. But then while he was still speaking, while Jesus was still talking to her, Someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Imagine what went through his head at that time. Imagine now the contempt that he has, not just for her, but for Jesus too, for stopping, for being upset. I mean, I, I can't imagine what was going through his head at this point, but Jesus is like, don't be afraid. Keep believing. Keep knowing that I'm the source. If anybody can make this okay and right, it's gonna be me. You keep believing, you keep focused. And so somehow Jairus finds it in him to keep going. I mean, there was a decision to make. Jairus could have been like, well, forget it then. Wow, you guys both you ruined, I mean, she's dead now, it's too late. But he doesn't, and they go to the house. And it says that Jesus only let a few people in and people were weeping and mourning, but Jesus said, look, don't, don't weep. She's only sleeping, and they laughed. But taking her by the hand, he said, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Again, it's this picture where Jairus, in the midst of all of the struggle, in the midst of, of the confusion, of the midst of like, oh no, my daughter just died, it's too late. He healed her, but now she's dead when she could have been dead and it was too late for her anyway, or she could have lived and it was too late for her anyway. He went anyway. He went anyway, he continued to trust and to believe even when he didn't see it anymore, even when it wasn't available, even when it wasn't happening in the way that he thought maybe it should happen, he went anyway. And he recognized that Jesus was his source. And the final one I wanna bring up is, is in Luke 15 and it's the story of the lost son. And the lost son got to an interesting place and it says that he came to his, himself or he came to his senses. And when he did, there was an interesting thing happens, and this is what always happens when we get to the end of ourselves. We recognize that we're not the source, that we don't have the ability to save ourselves or to intercede for ourselves or to be enough for ourselves. We all start, start to recognize that, that some of the systems and some of the things that we've been trusting in and believing on for hope and for change and things that we've been investing in are actually not bringing back a return. And we start to recognize that back at the Father's house, that's the place of provision. In his hand, there's more than enough. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? 
See, he started to recognize when he came to his senses, he said, I'm done with all this other stuff and trusting in it. I'm out of resources and I'm going back to my father's house because he's good, because there's more than enough there, because his provision is, is always more than ample. Everyone has more than enough back at my father's house. My father is faithful. I will arise and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. He was willing to do whatever it took to get back to his father. He was willing to say, you know what, after who I've been and what I've done, I'm not worthy to be your son. But the cool thing was, was that the father restored him. The father put a robe on him, restored him back to his place, said, you're not, you're not a slave, you're a son. And put a ring on his finger, said, you have authority within this family. And then put sandals on his feet saying, you're not a slave, you're free. So what's your source? What are you trusting in? What are we believing in? And as God's church, it is so imperative that we begin to live in a way that demonstrates to the world out there who has questions, maybe in a way that they haven't had in a long time, that we have a source of hope, that we have a hand to look to, a hand that is able to deliver us, to deliver us out of death, to deliver us out of the struggle. In Chronicles, it tells us that if his people who are called by his name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and begin to pray and make requests and intercede for the culture and stuff around us, it says that he'll show up and that he'll heal our land. He's faithful. But you see, what we see here is that there's always a need for buy-in. A buy-in that goes past how we're feeling. A buy-in that goes past what we think. A buy-in that goes past offense. A buy-in that is just steadfast saying, I know that you're my only source. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are all provision, that in you is all sufficiency, that you are the God of all time and space and history, that nothing has come through uh, into our world except what's passed through and by you, that you are sovereign, that, that there isn't anything that's spinning out of control right now, that you're perfectly able, but you're at work and you're doing a mighty work and you're actually even revealing to us that some of the sources we've looked to are just not sufficient. And you're helping us as a world to understand that we need to, to turn our eyes away from some of these things and begin to really look to you and to look to you with tenacity, to look to you um, with just the whole of our being. You're, you're calling us to, to truly understand that you're the one who's enthroned in the heavens and that we are to cry out and to ask you for mercy and for your grace to empower us to live this life that you've called us to live, knowing that, Lord, that there's, there's a greater calling, that there's, there's, a, there's a bigger story that you're telling, there's, there's more to this, that it doesn't end here. Help us, Lord, to, to live in a way that wouldn't let others think that we think there's permanence here. Let us live in a way that shows that your people and your church know that this is a temporary dwelling, 
but that there's an eternal place, that there's an eternal place that every soul will, uh, will reside. And that's, that's either in your presence or apart from your presence. So Lord, I just pray that we would be empowered to know the, the, uh, the magnitude of the calling on our lives and, and the, the urgency to walk this out, to truly be your people, to, uh, to live out the high calling that you've had for us. Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on us. Restore us, Lord. Uh, bring many into your kingdom. Help us to, to be kingdom-focused, a kingdom people. Not our kingdom, but your kingdom come, Lord, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.